Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. I'm Rabbi Iggy out of the Chuba Center. We have a guest today uh, for a podcast this week. Uh, with us today is a very dear friend to the Chuba Center. Um, we have Rabbi Hanan Andrew Rose uh, is with us. Uh, he is a rabbi from San Francisco, uh, California, raised, uh, raised reform. Uh, and Hanan began to explore traditional Judaism in high school. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and after graduating, he traveled around the world to study in different Jewish institutions. Uh, he got ordained in Pretoria, South Africa, in 2012. He specializes in Jewish mysticism and philosophy with ongoing research in Jewish methodology of meditation, prayer, transformation, and spiritual practice. Rabbi Hanan has a passion for playing the blues and studying ancient Jewish mystics. Uh, he lives with his wife in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Rabbi Hanan Rose, welcome to Tazim Torah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so, right, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, uh, even though, as they say in Hebrew, Yad Nogad Badava, what does a hand that touches uh, the matter? But, right, so what does a well educated white San Francisco reform hyphy Jew end up doing <laughs> with a Chabad rabbinical title? Well, um, like you mentioned, I grew up reform. We grew up, um, you know, uh, definitely aware of a Jewish identity. And, and I would say I even had a strong Jewish identity, but it was not rooted in uh, traditional practice by any means. Um, and uh, I ended up, <clears throat> you could say, uh, so maybe by coincidence, looking back, I would now say by divine providence, uh, that I ended up going to a Jewish high school in San Francisco um, called the Jewish Community High School. And it, it's, as you know, being a teacher there, um, it was unique in bringing together a very, uh, an, a varied array of Jewish kids from different backgrounds. Um, and, you know, at least when I was there, uh, one of the way they sort of sold it was that it's a third reform, a third conservative, and a third orthodox. Um, and I had never had any real exposure to Jewish study or, you know, Jewish uh, practice or interaction in like a day-to-day, -day, weekly type of way. Um, and I was, you know, sort of reticent my first year about the whole deal and, and didn't really know how to engage and how to integrate it. But something was definitely, something definitely captured me, captivated me from very early on. And uh, when I was a sophomore, you came and taught there. And uh, you were my Talmud teacher. And, um, and at some point during the year, a dear friend of mine and myself decided that we wanted to learn about Mashiach, about the Jewish concepts of what a Messiah, what the Messiah is, what the messianic era is and you know the talmud is the place to go to look for that so we started pestering you that we wanted to learn about this as i recall you were not so keen at the beginning but with some pestering you you uh you know you finally gave in 
and we learned those texts regarding what the Talmud has to say about that stuff. And at the end of the year, you uh, you assigned as a final to make an art project on one of the topics we had learned. And my friend came up with this idea that we should make a documentary on the Messiah. And we came up with about five, six basic questions of, you know, sort of based on what we had learned. So it's what is the Messiah to you and to your movement? What is the messianic era like? What's this whole deal with the revival of the dead that's taught that all the dead will come back to life when, when the Messiah comes? Things of that nature. Um, and we went to everybody we could talk to. We went to first place we went was Jews for Jesus. Their, uh, their international world headquarters is actually in San Francisco on Haight Street. Um, and we went to a reform rabbi. We went to a conservative rabbi. Uh, we spoke to a priest. And the last place we ended up was at Chabad. And uh, we actually came uh, on the eve of the holiday of Shavuot, which is the holiday that commemorates when God gave the Torah to the Jewish people. And we had no idea what we were getting, self, getting ourselves into. And, um, and we showed up and the place was a madhouse because everyone was getting ready for a holiday. And, uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, interview's not really going to happen today. But like, do you guys want to stay tonight and like stay for dinner and stuff? And we're like, yeah, sure. And the custom on Shavuot is that you stay up the whole night till dawn studying. So, you know, we were 16 year olds, like an all nighter is a great, great time, you know. So we stayed there till the very wee hours of the night, uh, hanging out and learning and talking to them. Uh, and, you know, I pretty much went back every week after that, every Friday night. Um, and because this Jewish school was, you know, it didn't obligate any type of practice, but it certainly accommodated for it. And I would say even encouraged it. It was very easy for me to spend more time. I mean, there's a library full of Jewish texts, you know, so I, I was a lot of it was really accessible to me. And there's there's, you know, services in the morning of, of different varieties. And so it was very easy for me to to really dive in and, and, and learn more and practice more. To the point that when I graduated, I decided instead of going straight to college, I was going to go to Israel for a year. Uh, and I spent a year studying in the old city. Uh, and then I tried to go to college and decided it wasn't for me. So I went back to Israel to study more and then landed in South Africa and uh, got ordained as a rabbi. Yeah, I, I think I was against that, too. I think I was <laughs> against you not going to college first, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think I even had to, I think I spoke with your parents about it. Even. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Amazing. So. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, part of, you know, I, 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 I my own involvement in this, right? Sort of like right, my own mea culpa, like, you know, this is my fault. But, um, but uh, you know, other than joking around it, sort of what, what is what is striking in this particular story, which I think is, is remarkable, is... Um, this sense, right, that you got there, and I don't know if you can talk about more about sort of finding one's sort of people, finding one's community, right? Uh, like in in that sense, sort of like the that feeling that you had maybe on that Shavuot, or sort of like going to the Chabad house or coming back to sort of the Shabbos after, and feeling part of, right? Because uh, right, most people think, oh, right, here's Here's a, a right, so like a, a teenager, right, so like Jewish, 
comes from like you know middle class upper class family white tall handsome like sort of right so those are not people who quote unquote struggle with where they belong they belong everywhere right they you know um but sort of can you describe sort of like that that feeling of of whatever sort of changed that that night which is interesting right so the how shavuot is Right, the 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 your side of the Baal Shem Tov. So yeah. you know, yeah. so you you fell on real. <laughs> totally. You know, um, as much as uh, one could say that all doors were open to me and that I could fit in everywhere, um, I think when I look back and and I, I don't think I felt like I fit in everywhere. I think that part of what what Jewish identity meant to me from even a young age was not fitting in. I went to a very uh, Tony middle school before high school, um, and uh, it was like the real upper class San Francisco right. old money deal. Um, and you know, I remember I was in the I think I was in the third grade, and we had like choir you know like glee club and we were doing a thing for christmas and one of the songs talked about uh jesus being lord and i like made a whole point like told the teacher like i'm not singing this and 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 i remember like later we were we were at at the time we were at sheriff israel which is one of the reform synagogues in san francisco and my mom like called over the rabbi and like told him that I like stood up for myself and that I, that I wasn't going to sing this. And, and I remember sort of being dismayed because the rabbi was not as, you know, positive and encouraging and exciting, excited as I was anticipating him to be. But I always had a sense of being different and like not really belonging to the, the surroundings that I was in, though I could like hang, so to speak, you know? Right. So there was, there was something always there that I knew that I knew was like to be explored. And I was always really captivated by Judaism. You know, my dad was, my dad sort of dabbled with orthodoxy when he was around 18. Um, and it, it did not stick until, you know, much later in his life. But, um, but he was, he was very, I mean, he was also like a real intellectual. So he was very into the the learning of Torah and discussing Torah, and and there was there was a very deep sense of of that in in like from my earliest memories. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, sort of, but like so so right. So you get to Chabad. So and right, sort of because again, right, so like in intellectualism, studying of Torah, loving thing, right, so Jewish community, right, this reform of the whole thing. What is it a bit sort of what is it that captivates you in in that world of Chabad? So like as you as you sort of start to explore it, like what's that like, oh my god, this is this is me, this is for me. Like what is it about that sort of that all of a sudden like, oh I, I want this? There was there was what I noticed immediately was that there was something very uh integrated and very holistic about about that 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 very much defied my perceptions of what orthodoxy was about. Um, and, you know, as an outsider, you imagine orthodoxy to really be orthodox Jews to really be, uh, you know, slaves to the law. And, you know, you, you imagine like, like, uh, 
like the Annie Hall scene where Woody Allen is in uh, a hat and a beard and payas and the whole deal. And it's like a caricature, you know? And this was the first time that I was exposed to a, a deeply integrated Judaism that is very holistic in that it, it, it is not afraid of anything. It, it embraces the legalistic uh, and the mystical traditions equally and, and really does really sees the purpose of all of it as to, as to bring them together and to harmonize them and, and show how one, how each is in tandem with the other and how one actually expresses the other. So, so yeah, I'll go on. So, so I think that, I think that in the limited capacity that I was able to see that what I saw also was, was a very specific approach to how to understand Judaism and how to understand, uh, a, a Jew's purpose in this world. And it, I think it gave, I think, you know, at that time, and certainly as I continued, uh, I was, I was definitely struggling with like, I had a sense of what I was going to do with my life and what I wanted to be. And, and a lot of that felt like it was not self-generated and it was from my parents or the the atmosphere and the environment in which I grew up, which was very much like go to college and get a graduate degree and, you know, get a doctorate while you're at it and spend 30 years in school. And, and then you'll end up as a professional and make tons of money and everything will be great. And I knew that deep down, none of that resonated with me. And I didn't, it's not like I was looking for a way out, but I just, I saw this, this second path that just seemed much more aligned to what I felt deep down, even if the concepts were initially foreign, they very immediately resonated with me. So you, as you're describing it, right? So you're describing a very sort of integrated sort of very uh, thoughtful sort of uh, approach, um, which of course that for the most of the world or most of the Jewish world, right? When they say orthodoxy, that's not what people think. Right. Right, right, right. People might think austere law, right? Sort of like you know, uh, and, and all that that entails. Um, so, what do people get wrong about Chabad? Um, I, you know, it, it depends on which way you want to take this. I think there's a few ways. Uh, the first is, I think that. You know, the the traditional understanding of uh, quote unquote Orthodox Judaism is a picture that is the picture that is painted is one that is uh, is a is a very uh, morose, um, uh, like, you know, pained existence of and almost like a, a Christianized version of Judaism. And, you know, I wouldn't say that there are are no people who live like that, but that is certainly not any Judaism that I relate to. And when you look at the origins of Chabad in the 1700s, especially coming from the Baal Shem Tov, the the founder of the Hasidic movement at large, the whole point was to to reestablish and redefine the, 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 the system and the institution of Judaism is not being institutional, is not being defined by the rabbis who are there to, you know, make their holier than thouness very well known and use Judaism as a tool to keep the little guy down. 
and it was and and you know with that came uh, a tremendous importance placed on joy and serving God through joy, which are you know ancient Kabbalistic teachings, but were lost in the normative mainstream Orthodox Judaism of Eastern Europe. Um, and and the idea of of integrating a Judaism that is joy based is something that I don't think people know about, let alone appreciate. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about that sort of joy, right? Uh, can you describe yours? Can you describe sort of like what is it within either that framework or the other framework that sort of that uh, you would sort of say is joy? I guess sort of how do you define joy for you? So... Um, I would say that the that for me, what the the joy that I felt and that I you know aspire to continually feel, is that that doing Jewish things, doing mitzvahs, doing good acts of goodness and kindness for others, being a person of service, is the most fulfilling and aligning experience that one can have. That, or at least that I experience. The, 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 basic, the basics of Chabad philosophy is that a person uh, has, the, a person's essence is a divine soul, which is a piece of God. And in tandem with that, there is also a natural or animalistic soul. And both of them are contained within the body. And the body can sort of align with either one. And, and that in moments of uh, enlightenment and moments of elevation, we are experiencing and and expressing our godly soul and operating as a godly soul through a body, and that and that that is actualized, that is activated through doing things like acts of goodness and kindness, and 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 doing charity and doing service, and that that brings a joy that that uh, at least I feel very centered and very purposeful and very uh in tune with uh my mission and my purpose and you know my 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 guiding north stars so 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 what is that the other one right so the 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 animalistic soul right because i think for a lot of people like there's like never heard of that so what is that so the animalistic soul um in its most basic form before any connotations is, is, is merely the, the vitality that gives your body its life, right? So we know that a body without a soul is a corpse. So, so the Torah teaches that it, when it talks about blood, it refers to blood as the soul. It's one of the right. reasons why you can't eat blood is because it's, you're ingesting the soul of the animal, which is not for us to ingest. So, so, in our experience, it's 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 a it's the the vitality of the blood, the heat of the body, but what it the 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 the, um, the bifurcation of of godly soul to natural soul is that the godly soul is uh, innately connected to its source, to its creator, and the animal soul is is ultimately the where where ego is derived from and while the animal soul is ultimately not uh you know evil itself it's not bad itself what it creates is a sense of detachment and a sense of difference 
that enables one to walk around feeling like he is uh, disconnected from everything else. And, and like, like my favorite diagram from Chuck C in a new pair of glasses, that the entire universe exists and stops right at my nose. And there's all y'all and me, right? right? And that within the universe, that circle is, you know, everything, including God and everything, but it's limited because it stops right where I am, right? That's, that circle is a function of the ego. It's a creation of the ego. And, and the animal soul is what, what enables that perception. So since, right, so we do a, deal a lot with recovery. So is addiction sort of like, that's sort of uh, an animal soul sort of going wild, right, if you will, right? Um, I, I wouldn't say entirely. From my understanding, um, you know, people who aren't familiar with addiction say that the substance is the problem, right? Right. And we know that the substance is actually the solution, right? It's the it's only starts, solution. It starts as a solution, yes. It's the only solution that we found to work, right, until obviously we turn our lives over and we start right. to make changes. But until that point, this is the only solution that works. And usually what you find is addicts tend to be hypersensitive, hyper-spiritual people. Right. And a lot, a lot of what that is, from my understanding, is that they are in a lot of ways, very in tune with their soul, with their godly soul. And the disconnect between the godly soul and the fragmentation of this world is tremendously painful. That's and right. it's, it's, a, it's an, a painful internal experience. And that right. substance becomes the solution to mute the voice of the soul, which is constantly, constantly wants to connect and feel connected and solve the solutions, solve the, the, the fragmentation of this world. The soul is crying out because it feels the pain of the world, and it has, and that sound is screeching. Right. So we try and drown it. That that's that's precisely right. 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 Um. Do you so when when we talk about uh, this sort of right, so like animal soul and higher soul, right? Um, how does that translate into sort of? Uh, I guess your definition or, 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 or your vision into spirituality, right? How, how does that translate into a, a, uh, a practice or ideas or things sort of like how, how do you look at the articulation of that spiritual experience on a daily basis? I guess other than just mitzvot and like, you know, sort of commandments. Well, so I think that, you know, as you know, Judaism is uh, rather far-reaching in what it demands of a person. Right. Um, and <laughs> if, if you look at it as demands, it's obviously sort of a downer and a drag. But uh, to me, the framework is such that we know that it, it's discussed about how to put on shoe, how to put on your shoes, right? And and saying a blessing after you go to the bathroom, right? That there, everything is from when you wake up to when you go to sleep. There is there is uh, you know guidelines for everything. And obviously mitzvot fit into that, but there are sort of a, a, a secondary category that is not quite mitzvot, but it is the, the halakha, meaning the way, the way that we do things, right? And, it's, and, and specifically in a, in a fashion of progressing, that it's about, it's about progressing throughout your day, trying to cultivate more consciousness. So, so, you know, there are moments, there are days that we go throughout our life where we might do all the things, but we don't feel anything, right? You could, you could pray three times a day and do all the mitzvahs, 
and you just it's not it, you're not present to the experience but the idea at least as i understand it is that everything that you're doing is constantly trying to create some god consciousness in that moment and and feel the godliness within you your godly self to tap into that and and connect to the essence to connect to your creator within that moment be it tying your shoes or even at work that was a big that was a big thing of the balshemtovs was that since we know everything is by divine providence at every moment right he would teach that even the way the leaf rolls down the street is by divine providence which is even at the time a pretty radical view um he would say that you know a person who has a job who 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 is a shoemaker so every day when he's making shoes that is a divine calling for him and that it's not like i have you know my synagogue and my work or i have this and that as two that i operate i i i, I operate in two separate realms it's that everything is because everything is godly because everything is an expression of god so my whole day i'm interacting with godliness is that but is that true for things that sort of people would not um think i mean I, i'll be a slightly controversial but like right so so the porn actor is acting on godly in, in you know, intervention does the 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 i don't know the insurance sort of like company or the right so sort of like things that we would think are not as uh um I don't know, up and up, right? So like shoemaker, fine, bookmaker, fine, cook, you know, cleaner. But what about all those sort of people and places, right? Who, who that, right? The, 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 the drug dealer, the porn, uh, the porn actor, or like what well, the sex workers, which, which again, I want to make sure there's some people here. This is, I don't think there's anything, uh, inherently bad in that, right? So I'm not saying this, but like, but people would perceive it as something that is, um, not desirable, right? Although, right, one of the oldest professions in the world, and I have a lot of respect for a lot of people uh, who are in this profession. But you know, does, is so is that is that true for that as well? Um, I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not comfortable necessarily making blanket statements, um, right? As you have I, you and I have discussed previously, nothing in Judaism really exists uh, in a black and white, right? Right, everything's on a spectrum. I think that Judaism has a, a tremendous sense of ethics and there are very clearly things that are unethical, right? Um, right. Dealing drugs, I would say, is unethical. Right. So, you know, in that sense, there's one is not devoid of that, even 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 factoring in that 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 it, everything is godly and, and anybody any profession that a person finds themselves in is godly. There's obviously, you know, guiding principles of ethics and morals that that inform that experience but is there god in those places too i guess it's part of the yes, question for sure for sure the 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 hasidic understanding there's uh there is a principle called symptom which is which is uh, has to do with the manner and methodology in which god created the world that is an ancient Kabbalistic concept, but it means the contraction or the constraint of godliness and really the godly perception within to create room, so to speak, for others to exist. Because if everything is godliness, there's no room for anything else. Right. So godliness was covered over in such a way that it made room. The perception was that there was an empty space finally for others to exist. Right. 
for humanity and, to exist, right? Right, right, and really all of creation, and um, and <clears throat> the uh, the Hasidic understanding. There's there's quite a few different ways that people interpret that that uh, that concept, but the Hasidic understanding is that it's very much in the perception and and in our perception as created beings that we perceive a space. And, and there was a famous disagreement about whether God is in the bathroom or not, right? Which sounds silly, but it's, you know, if God is not in the bathroom, you're ultimately limiting godliness, right? Like right. there's God in shit. Yes. You know? And, and so in that sense, there's godliness in everything. And obviously the, 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 the language that, the, that Kabbalah and, and Hasidic thought uses is, is that to what degree it's covered over, to what degree it's hidden. Because the more hidden it is, then the more sense of self and and sense of independence and you could even say ego exists in that. So so there is it can be covered over in a way that the godliness is so imperceivable that uh, that it can create uh, bad things or disgusting things like poop and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> but but it doesn't mean if, if it were not to have any godliness, it would cease to exist and it would be stricken from our collective memory as if it never existed. Fascinating. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, it's fascinating because I have uh, I have a sculpture that's like 150,000 years old that's made of poop. Really? Uh, yeah, it's wow. a bit. It's a it's a it's a prehistoric uh, sculpture and uh, anthropomorphized sort of like a uh, version of a of a. Of a, of a, I guess a, a wildebeest, a cow, whatever, but it's made of dung. It's made of poop, and it's it's oh. now petrified poop. So of course, it's a again, it's one hundred fifty thousand years old. So, um, which is interesting because I think it's so beautiful, right? I, it's it's in my living room because I think it's just so absolutely beautiful, right? So in that sense, sort of God has been reinstated into that poop. Yeah. Um, but but I like or this idea. That's right. I like this idea, right? So that sort of the the. That there's God and everything. It's just a question of how covered it is, right? How 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 many layers we would have to uncover to find the essence, the essence of that, right? And and I would think, right, also from a very um, kind of medical point, right. So that while we think like, oh, there's no God in poop, right? If God forbid you're really constipated, right, and if, and finally you go you go poop. Right, this has gone really uh, like, uh, <laughs> down the road, but We're like right, a rabbit hole. right? How how godly that feels. That's why we have a blessing for it, right? For so, like sure. this, in that moment where everything functions, you you think it's a it's a present from God, right? Yeah. That you were for able sure. to finally feel, you know, better um, right. and healed, right? right? And that's true for all these 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 elements. Um, so, so I like that, and in that term, sort of like that. There is God in everything. The question is how covered it is. Um, so, so in that sense, and sort of to, to continue on that, which I, which I find fascinating, is um, so. So, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, right? But, but in, in the way that you're describing, right? So sort of that that the physicality of this world is very important to our spiritual growth. Hundred percent. Right. Sort of, we're not you're not aspiring to be this sort of like ethereal spiritual creature. We're like, no, we want something different. Right, right. It's it's the goal of Judaism is not to detach from the world. The goal of Judaism is very much to be 
within this world and to use our powers in our environment first to work on ourselves and to and to you know share and influence and be kind to those around us and to take whatever corner of the world god has given us wherever we we land up and wherever we find ourselves and and to to affect change in that world positive in that space positively and to and to very much engage with the physical and and use it as a tool for spirituality how do you do that so so what do you do well let's let's talk talkless boots on the ground so okay so how how, how do you do that so so at the beginning it's 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 a it's a function of we wake up in the morning and and we have a moment to recognize we wake up in the morning feeling self-generated right we we wake up in the morning our alarm went off and we jump out of bed and we go to wherever we go and we're getting ready for our day and judaism says the first thing you wake up you do when you wake up in the morning is to acknowledge you say modani lefanecha i acknowledge before you right melech habakayim the king of sustenance and existence that you gave me my soul that you returned to me my soul right my essence that makes me me it was returned to me again today meaning that you're validating that i have more work to do in this world uh that 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 tremendous is rabba tremendous is your amuna is your amuna your what most people would translate as faith i would say is really fidelity right your commitment to this partnership that you and i have together right that that you believe in me that i i have something to do in this world and you're charging me with a mission and i believe in you and that and that i am committing to to the mission you have given me. that's right. first thing in the morning right and by the way for people who are interested in that that is on the sheet for journaling that's on our website if you go to uh recovery tools it's on the journaling sheet uh so uh and that prayer in its entirety is is there as well so it's it's part of our tradition too <laughs> it's it's jewish it is in fact jewish <laughs> so so that's 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 you know we don't we don't wait to get into a headspace or a, or a mind space or a, or we don't you know there's no preparation needed right it's not right. you don't have to purify yourself you don't have to do anything it's just right. merely opening your eyes in the morning the the first conscious thought should be i'm here for a purpose and that god believes in me and he's he's partnering with me to 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 that i i have something to do in this world right and 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 but i believe that i i think it is uh the first prayer i've ever learned as a as a very very young child, I mean, definitely before I could read and write or whatever, but like you, right? So like we were, I, right? For people who still have not know, I grew up Orthodox, right? So like I went the other way, and I went. I feel like I, it's like an even Steven. I had to, <laughs> right? Create a create a, a person instead of me, but uh, but that's the, one of the first prayers as a child that I remember. So sort of like learning, um, you say that and right, yeah. and I would sort of like right, I would sort of like uh, wake up, I would. Uh, take my keeper out of uh, right because I would put it under my pillow and put my keeper on my pillow and and say the prayer mm-hmm. before everything before anything. Right, right. So that's that's you know that's the the and and I think the real the goal of it is is that it's not just a moment but it's a it's moda means acknowledge right. We think we often translate right. it as thanks but it's a poor uh, translation. It's really 
to acknowledge and to recognize and to have gratitude is, is so much deeper than just saying thank you. And, and to cultivate right. that mind, to cultivate that mindset is, is really, uh, it's something that we try to carry with ourselves the whole day. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, it's deep gratitude. It's not just sort of saying thank you. It's deep gratitude. As, as you said, this sort of acknowledging, and I like this idea of acknowledging the partnership between, uh, let's say the spiritual divine, so you call it God, right? So like, uh, but sort of that here I have, I have one more day to do this because I also think that sort of that it's, it speaks directly to so many people in recovery because uh, I think so many people in the height of their addiction or in their addiction, and maybe even still there are people who might be listening who, who go to bed thinking like, I wish I won't wake up. Like, please, God, take this pain away. I don't want. I don't want to wake up. Right. I, I don't want to kill myself, but I don't want to wake up. And and this idea of of, of dying in one sleep is seems like a relief, right? So I think in that sense, our ability to wake up and be like in gratitude, in recognition of this partnership, right? Then that's a that's a growth on a spiritual on a spiritual level that is very much needed. And I would say in some ways, uh, you know, it's it's in some ways it's informed by the work of the night before, which I know you very much, uh, right. the Chuba Center is very much into, which is the, the bedtime Shema is very, right. uh, is very much focused on what my experience was today and, right. you know, what I'm proud of and what I did good and where can I improve. And and it's very much. It's, you know, the, the, the way it's talked about in Chassidus is called the Chajban HaNefesh, an accounting for the soul, right? And it's very... Yeah, the soul. Oh, that's good. I like that. And in that sense, it's very black and white. And it's very, you know, this, this was great and this needs working on. And, and I think in some capacity, getting square with yourself at the end of the day and, and looking very, you know, clearly at oneself is what enables the next morning to, to it, it, it enables that rebirth the next morning to be able to have that gratitude and that acknowledgement. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that right com, comes down to this idea and we spoke about it before, but so this is sort of, it's radical tshuva. That is sort of right. So like that, that to, there is the repent part of the tshuva. There is the uh, uh, response part of the tshuva. And then there is the return part of the tshuva. Right. Right. The, the, because ultimately the return is a return to yourself. It's, it's what Jesus would say is that being that we are a, you know, sophisticated, complex individual comprised of both a divine and animal soul, there, is, there are times that we experience and identify ourselves as a body or as an animal soul, and we operate as such. And, and the goal is to return to your true self, to your essence, to your, to your divine soul. To, right. to, 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 to shift your identity to realizing that you are an expression of godliness. So within that framework of Chuva and Modani and the prayer, um, there is this, uh, uh, I think sort of people understand this to be a kind of rote, a, a uh, if you will, dry way of looking at what we pray, what we do, in the sense of a very uh, human surrender, right? Rabbi says, I do. Allah says, I do, right? Um, but 
it seems from what you're describing, and definitely sort of like within sort of this Chabad framework, right, that there's a lot more, uh, we'll call it meditative practices, right? There's a lot more um, intentionality in terms of the spirit in what we do. Am I getting it wrong? No, I think you're 100% right. I think I think that's a major a major part of Judaism that is lost today. That that you know I, I think you could hypothesize a couple different reasons as to why that's come about, but ultimately the fact of the matter is that the Judaism that people interact with for the most part is not a experiential one. It's a very external, uh, you know, superficial deal. It's you know. It's sort of it's tradition and it's you know these are these are the things we do and no 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 real thought is given to why and and is this part of a bigger framework and a bigger picture and is there something greater at play than just you know this is you know spinning a dreidel. So so how how does that translate right so so t- take us through it like how does that translate into either your daily practice or your, uh, right? So like your, your, we'll call it halachic life. How does that translate to somebody? Because again, for, for, from the outside, right? I, I have no idea what's going on, right? So like, right. I don't know. All, all I see is black hats and payas and, you know, and long socks and, you know, and hats made of fur in like, you know, 80 degrees weather. For sure. So, I mean... And I know that's not Chabad. We'll get to that. It's like, how's different in Chabad? So, sure. But, but, but um, you know. So, I mean, you can, any, anything that, that a Jew does is an opportunity to connect. When, when the, the, the first thing that has to be done is, is shift the paradigm. So, one has to, the, the sensitivity one has to create is that, I am a, a, an expression of God. I am a ray of God. Meaning that God being infinite means that, and, 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 and truly infinite, means that God inhabits the infinite and the finite, right? Because were he to just be infinite, that would limit him because he couldn't be finite, right? And that within his finitude, he created us. We are the finite expressions of God, whereas when we talk about God with a capital G, he is the infinite expression of God. And so we are here to, to and, and we're created as, you know, bifurcated people, as bifurcated individuals that experience a struggle and a tension of feeling self and wanting to be connected to our source. And so when I put on my shoes, I can put on my shoes, I can put on my shoes the quote-unquote correct way or the halachic way and it can still be mindless but i can also do it that way which you know is taught and is connected with other things that we do right it's connected with how we put on tefillin and i can think for a moment that in doing this i'm connecting to god and i'm connecting i'm i'm drawing connection points from the tefillin i put on this morning to the shoes that i'm now putting on to going throughout my day with the sense of right and left and the different Kabbalistic powers that go with it, the discipline on the left side and, and kindness and giving on the right side, and that all of my body and my, and my capacities are aligned in a way that they, they are elevated in, in, in service of something much bigger. So everything is an opportunity to bring God into it. Everything yeah. is an opportunity for holiness. Right. 
Right. And also for people who don't know, define Kabbalistic. Uh, so Kabbalistic is a is a sort of umbrella term we use for the Jewish mystical tradition, um, which tradition tells us go back goes back to really the beginning of time. Um, but the 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 main uh, the main work of the Kabbalistic tradition is uh, the Zohar, which tradition tells us came about in the times of the uh, of the Talmud of the Mishnah and 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 was passed down. Uh, you know, rabbi to student uh, for a number of years, a uh, number of centuries, and um, if not millennia, and uh, maybe not millennia, but um, the, and that, this work, by the way, you heard in Rabbi Rose's uh, voice was me making a face at the uh, <laughs> time, right? Right? So, like, right? Because uh, us academics believe that the Zohar was written somewhere between the 11th and 16th century, so you right. know, right. So you just you got the BC and the CE wrong, you know. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then, uh, so the first one of the first major movements in the Kabbalistic uh, timeline was the Arizal, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, who lived in Svat in the north of Israel. He was the first person to really start to uh, uh, radicalize and and teach very new ideas that were you know, rooted in the original thought, but definitely was not revealed in a way that he, as until he did so, and he created a real uh, um, uh, sort of Kabbalistic environment within Svat, um, and you know, and then a couple hundred years later came the Baal Shem Tov, who brought the Hasidic movement and Hasidic teachings, which, which, while mainstream normative Orthodox Judaism was always sort of afraid in some ways of of the mystical side of things it was very much reserved in a in a rabbi student teacher student uh, uh transmission right kabbalah literally means received right it's not it wasn't that which was written down but it was that which you were initiated in and brought in by your teacher and given over the the secrets that way um and the Baal Shem Tov really radicalized the expression of kabbalah and the integration of kabbalah with, within more normative Judaism and Chabad took that running and a lot of the synthesis and the holisticness that I've mentioned earlier, it has to do with that. It has to do with that um, the there's a tradition that there are four levels of interpretation for every every verse um, of the Bible and really in anything you want to understand. And the first is a simple, plain understanding, and then a homiletic, and then a more uh, exposed and expanded and abstract. And then the fourth is is the mystical, is the secret they call it. And uh, and that was that was not something that was really identified. And and Chassidus really takes the Chassidus often people sort of classify as taking Kabbalah and simplifying it and bringing it to to the masses so the masses can understand it because it's written in a sort of code but if you if you look at the hasidic text it's really doing something much more than that which is the synthesis of all of it and the the, the harmonization of all of it to create a new idea or a more essential idea that each one of those levels indicates in its own way um Yes, I mean, for those people who don't know, right, those those four layers, uh, at least in Hebrew, pr- produce an acronym that is usually known as the orchard, the pardes, a pshat, uh, 
הדרש, רמז אנד סוד. So, for, for, I guess for those people who don't, like, so, so how would you then define Chabad as opposed to say maybe some of the other, either Hasidut or, or in general, like, right? So when we say Chabad, we say what? So, um, in the, after the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov uh, lived in the early part of the 1700s. His main student was the Mizritcher Magid, um, Rabbi Dovber. Uh, and he, he was sort of the, The, you could almost say the, the, the sort of the opposite of the Baal Shem Tov in a lot of ways. The Baal Shem Tov has a lot of stories about uh, these fantastic trips he would take off to, to take to different places, and he would find a Jew in the middle of nowhere, and it was, it was always a miraculous story, and a lot of lore and legend around the Baal Shem Tov. And yes, he's a very was, mystical creature. <laughs> totally. He's, he's, he's like the paragon of, of the mystical guru type guy. Right, absolutely. <clears throat> and the Magid... really the opposite of that in a lot of ways he he lived in Mizritch and he had a little shul and he just did his thing he davened and he learned and he taught and 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 people came and there was a group of of his students which were named the Chavraya Kedisha the holy society or the holy uh gang um and Each one of those students went on to be a founder of a Hasidic movement in their own right. So Rabbi Schneer Zalman, who was the first Chabad Rebbe, the first leader of the Chabad movement, he was the Magid student. He lived in Mizritch and studied under the Magid. And that was his first exposure to, to the mystical experience. He, he grew up in Lithuania. And uh, in fact, in the, in the Magid circle, in this holy gang, they called him the Litvak, which, is, uh, which means the Lithuanian, but it has a very uh, distinct connotation of being like a very legalistic, not mystical, you know, solemn, stern Jew, right? right? And what, what does Chabad mean, by the way? So, right? Chabad, Chabad, is an, acronym, right? so Chabad is an acronym. So, so anyway, so, so I'll get to that. Um, so you had all these different students, you had all these different students that each sort of created their own lineage of, of Hasidic tradition. Most Hasidic groups fall under the category of what we would call Chagas. And Chagas is an acronym for Chasig Vurotiferes. It is the idea that, that, um, that uh, they're the emotional side, the emotional attributes in, the, in what we call the Svirot, which are the the divine characteristics through which God manifests himself and relates to the world. Right. For those by the following in Hebrew, chesed, gvura, and tiferet. <laughs> so chesed, chesed is about kindness, is about giving. Gvura is discipline and tiferet is harmony, right? And it's, and it's all, they encapsulate what, we, encapsulate what we refer to as the emotions. And so you had a whole bunch of movements coming out that were emotional guys, right? And then you had the Alter Rebbe standing alone, saying that, saying that the focus is Chabad, and that Chabad is an acronym Chachma, Bina, and Das, which means Chachma, we traditionally translate as wisdom. I would say it really means insight. Bina is understanding, comprehension, and uh, extrapolation. And Das is, is, is knowledge, literally, I think it's, it's, I would say it's, it's about focus, and it's about connection, And, 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 and the goal is the synergy of those as a way to use one's mind 
in examining and contemplating godliness and and the world's relationship and my personal relationship with god in a way that i should refine my mind that it should i should instill this insight and this perception as a more constant reality in my day so that when one prepares for prayer in the morning you think and contemplate and meditate the the creator whom you are praying to and and you work to focus and and focus on an idea and begin to break it down and extrapolate it in a way that you can cultivate an insight and that new insight that is generated which is sort of a flash of inspiration from nowhere is then internalized in a way that it's broken down then again for in 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 an extrapolated comprehension type way and then connected to instilled so you start in in that idea we start at das which is connection and focus and then we take a thought that we're focusing on like the pasuk says the, the the verse says in the in the bible that that you god give sustenance and existence and life to everything so we start to focus on that idea and then we start to break it down conceptually to comprehend it better and we start to think about all the different manifestations of how godliness sustains everything and we imagine how a tree grows from the ground and you can imagine the animals and and even uh, uh you know mineral matter and 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 then my own existence of how god is giving me vitality at every moment and how the world at large and the universe at large and maybe even the multiverse at large is being created anew at every moment and every atom within it is being created anew at every moment and that creation was not a one-time thing that happened 6,000 years ago or 13 trillion years ago, but it is in fact an ongoing process that rejuvenates at every moment. That's all the, the comprehension extrapolation. And the idea is to come to a point where a new insight that makes it real for you is reached. The, the, the story that, that demonstrates this very well is the story of Archimedes, who was, uh, who was a scientist and a you know, physicist in ancient Greece. And he was tasked by the king to weigh his massive, tremendous throne that couldn't fit on any scale. And he spent weeks trying to figure it out. And then one day he was in the bath. He was taking a bath and he realized that the water that he dispels as he gets in the bath is, is in relation to how much he weighs. And he dispels, he, he displaces, excuse me, a certain amount of water. And he realized that's the way to measure the chair. So the story, the lore goes that he was running through the streets of, I think Syracuse, maybe Athens, naked, screaming, Eureka, I found it, right? Because this insight took, overtook him so powerfully, he didn't even have a chance to get dressed. He was like operating in a different strata, a different, a different realm. And then, so the idea is you go, you know, knowledge, understanding, wisdom. And then once you have that wisdom, that insight moment, then you bring that back down, and then you start to you start to re uh, you know reevaluate it and extrapolate more, and then comes what we said before was focus and knowledge is now a, is now a connection, right? You use that new insight that you've generated to connect to to connect to the source, connect to the essence. Um. So when you, I mean, that's fascinating. I'm, <laughs> I'm pausing because I'm thinking about what you said. So how do you then take all that 
into uh, into like a a moment? Can you can you sort of take us through right uh, meditation, a prayer, whatever? Like, how does that look like, right? For for those people who want us to like put it into more tangible terms. So right? And, so right. So that would be that would be a sort of preparatory meditation in in preparing oneself for for prayer and and to create this insight something to what what the hasidic parlance would say is something to daven with right that that you have this idea this insight that that is a lens through which you're seeing your prayers right so, so it's a tool yeah i, li- I yeah. like lenses we use lens a lot but i like mm-hmm. that right idea of a lens so so when you look at the 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 corpus of of the, the structure of prayer, you start first with with a very basic sort of like examining your surroundings type deal, right? It begins, let's say you take Shachas, the morning prayer, the first thing you begin with is what's called Sukkah de Zimra, which, which is is really just is, is examining the world around us, right? Right. I mean, this is where we differ, right? So like, right, I look at Pesukah de Zimra and I say Pesukah de Zimra is a whole set of of uh, attributes to God. God, you're great. God, you're amazing. Look at this. This is amazing. Blah, blah. And, you know, and, and I always see it like as sort of buttering up God, right? So like God is there sitting and he's like, yeah, what do you want? Like, because I know something's coming. You came here for something, right? You come here every day. And I'm like, well, you know. Hey, Dad! You know you look really great. Oh, you lose some weight. Oh, like and by the way, can I have twenty bucks for whatever? Like, right? So, like that's right. for me there. But but you have a slightly different version. Right. Of well, this. I would differ. I I think that Sukkot de Zimra is really about is really for us, right? I don't think that God needs us to tell him that he's so great. I don't think you know he doesn't have uh, you know self confidence issues. Right? Like, although I have to tell you, the bigger the celebrity, the fragile, <laughs> the more fragile the ego. For right? sure. So, like, this for is sure. so. Area. So, so, but, but a lot of what it's talking about is, is, you know, that that God exists in the heaven and the earth, and and He created everything, and and it's really about, you know, we're waking up in the morning. This is, you know, close to when you have woken up, right? It's really the first thing, the first productive thing you're doing in the morning. And it's it's really an opportunity to reset your perspective because we wake up feeling like we are uh, an existence that is independent, and we and that you know there's this world around us that is is sort of separate from us, and and we're really we spend a significant amount of time reading these these chapters mostly from Psalms that that talk about God's involvement in the world, and we really try to realign our perspective to see to make ourselves see how. God is involved with the world. And so, like we were saying, to daven with something. So if you spent all this time thinking about this idea that God is giving sustenance to everything at every moment and that creation is, is not uh, was not a you know one-time deal, but is constant throughout throughout time. So you'll take an insight like that, and with that insight, that lens will 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 inform everything that you're discussing of of you know, be it that 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 god you know created all the stars or you know or or anything like that right and that there's millions of billions of stars out there each one could be a you know a solar system in and of itself and with all of that god is that he he knows he counts the amounts of stars that there are and he he is intimately involved with the creation of of every star and everything surrounding it at every moment right to give you a tremendous sense of the the greatness of the universe and 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 just exactly how fantastically humongous it is. 
it's interesting you say that. One of the metaphors I I use to explain some of God sort of uh, to people around me, because I have a slightly different uh, view of, of God, right, is that sort of um, it's, it is exactly like a star. That God is a star, right, that is now gone. Now we experience the light. We see the twinkling. We experience the light. We experience the gravitational pull. We experience like the whole thing. But the actual essence of it is does not exist uh, uh, at all. Where did it go? I it just transformed into something else into the universe, right? Hmm. The, the 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 atoms, the matter, just transformed into something different. Hmm. Very um, so Spinoza, it's of, no? it's what it's very Spinoza. It's very Spinoza, but it's but you know. I, Again, for me, right? I, I well, I, I, in many ways, funny. It's, it's, it, we're not that different. It's just that the way we see it, right? I, people have heard me say this before, right? I, I believe that God doesn't give a shit, right? I don't. I thought if there is a God, it is a cup, right? So that is concerned with filling itself. We are the feeling the overflow, right? If you, if you will, of that cup, right? But I don't think that God. If I look at the world. I don't see sort of God being involved in it in a way that sort of that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Uh, the second part of that statement is God doesn't give a shit. Therefore, I must, because I think right if I am created in God's image and that's part of our tradition, then the godliness is within me, is within you. You want to see God? Go talk to someone. Else. Go to talk. Go talk to somebody else. Go look in somebody else's eye. Go look into a child's eye. That's where God is. Right, the God is in this what we call the Havaya, right? That's one of God's name in this sort of existence of ours. And every time we then create more meaning into the things we do, tying our shoes, having sex, eating, buying glasses, whatever it is, we get a chance to recreate this creation because we have been given this sort of power, if you will. And because of that, we get to choose how we shape our world. And that's why I said, like, right, creation, uh, creation, connection, compassion, kindness. Um, uh, are are at the forefront of sort of the work that sort of that I'm trying to do, um, because I think that that's what the divine in me is is uh, is pushing me to do. Um, right, right. I would say that I would say that you giving a shit is an expression of God giving a shit. That's right. That's well, I I, I agree with the with the what's called the uh, um, uh, with the pitcha right with the, with the not with the, the cipher. Ratio. Exactly, with the ratio, not with the cipher, right? So, like, I, I agree with the first part that sort of, yes, that is. Because I think that, for me, that's that's the 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 true God essence in me is this sort of mortar that sort of moves that moves that along. Right, right. Um, but So, I would say that, that being that you are an expression of God and being that we are all expressions of God, that, that you giving a shit demonstrates that God gives a shit and that, his partnership with you is his way of, of expressing that he gives a shit. If I was a formation of God, if I give a shit, you know, like he could have made, at least made me a little bit taller. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like if, if really, if that was the deal, <laughs> it was a little short change. <laughs> right? If I'm supposed to represent God, you know, like a few more inches would be nice. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely serious about this for everybody who's listening don't come at me I'm perfectly fine with my height it's perfectly fine um, uh, this is it's, it's a remnant of being of being a, a, a teenager like, that's really that's really all I wanted to I mean it's and maybe that's part of it right if you really look at maybe the psychology of like when I was a teenager all I wanted to do well all I wanted to be was taller mm-hmm. um, everybody in my family is taller 
I'm one of the me and my brother are the only ones who are actually shorter. Um, so so maybe it was part of that as well. But but all I and I remember going to bed praying, please 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 please, please. I, like every tachanun, it would be like, I'm not asking for much, but I want to be taller. <laughs> <laughs> and and God was like, yeah, no, not doing no, that. No, no, not at all. So, so now I'm like, eh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead anyway. <laughs> um, but um, I, so right. So, so but to 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 bring some serious into sort of in this sort of this really joke, but sort of that 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 prayer, right? The prayer that you say, the prayer, the prayers that we say. Right and and for those who are listening, uh, Rabbi Rose is going to start a prayer service for us uh, coming February fifteenth. Uh, daily twenty minutes uh, prayer, meditation, mysticism, uh, kind of rolled into one as a way to sort of to find a inner space that is godly, meditative, and introspective. Um, so Rabbi is going to do that for us, uh, and it's on the website, so you can sign up for it. It's free. Um, and uh, we just ask for people to uh, commit to a week. So at least try it for a week, you know, before, don't just jump in and out. Um, but in in prayer, in that moment where we do think about what we were just talking about, like whether God hears it or not, or expressions of God, like what, what is that essence then? What What is the essence of prayer? Why, sh- why should we do it anyway? I get that we can command ourselves to sort of like, right, don't eat this, don't do that, you know, mind, you know, like have discipline. But what's the what's the prayer part, right? He doesn't answer. It's not a two-way street. Or is it? I don't know. Um, you know, I I, I... I mean, if you tell me the God talking to you, like, you know, that... That's yeah, then we would have a problem. Yeah. Well, I don't have a problem, because like, it's funny. I have to end this. Well, I don't know, but I, <laughs> but I did, and I do ask my clients all the time, and I don't know if you, you think, like, if you woke up one day and God, in fact, has spoken to you, like, if you woke up one day with a voice in your head that's distinctly not your own, it doesn't say anything horrible, right? Like, who who do you tell? Right? Yeah. Are, you, are you going to be a psychiatrist? Are you going to be a doctor? Are you, are you going to take your rabbi? Like, sort of like, right. if we believe that God revealed himself to Moses and signed, like, the whole thing, like, right, then presumably that your God, who is not dead, uh, can still do it. Right? So, but that's a different question. So, but let's yeah. say, let's go back to prayer. So, prayer. So, so we often think of prayer as, uh, as uh, you know, asking for things. Right. And I think that's really. While that is distinctly a mitzvah, it's distinctly a thing that we are commanded to do and we are encouraged to do. I don't think that is the ultimate purpose of prayer and the reason why we three times a day stop what we're doing and and spend time praying. I think that it is a much more contemplative exercise and a much more meditative exercise that that we are trying to refine our perception of this world and our perception of ourselves and to in you know connecting to a bigger purpose we we cultivate an ability to refine ourselves and refine our surroundings right we we we're 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 creating the opportunity for ourselves or creating the we're creating the possibility for ourselves to to find within us the the special abilities that we have being our godly abilities to 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 spread goodness and kindness in this world and to and to refine ourselves to be better and to improve on what we're doing and feel more elevated and more aligned i think that to me is the main point of prayer it's it's you know it's it's as much as we need things and we and we 
you know, we're encouraged to ask for that. It's the, the, the focus, the premium is not put on that. The focus is put on that you are here. I'm here as a finite person with a limited understanding. And I can, you know, be comfort, comfortable in how little I understand and just go throughout my day that way. Or I can really say to myself, I know that I have a, a brain that, you know, thinks halfway good at least. And I'm going to use it to try to understand a little bit better you know, who my creator is and, and, and what my purpose is. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds, that, that sounds, that sounds about right. Um, what would you do if God spoke to you? Oh gosh, I don't know. I tend to be very cynical, so I don't know if the cynicism <laughs> would be that I would, you know, shake it off and be like, it's not real. Or if I would just be cynical enough to think that I'm going absolutely sugar. <laughs> But is the first person you're talking to, like, do you tell your wife? I think probably. I think By the way, honey, I'm right. hearing voices. Sorry? By the way, God is speaking to me. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Like, oh, hey, you tell your psychiatrist. You tell your psychiatrist or you tell your rabbi? Uh, probably my rabbi. <laughs> probably my rabbi. Hmm. My, my father would often say that... Uh, the mark of a good rabbi is somebody who would tell you that it's not about you. That's probably true. So, you know, so I feel blessed to have a good rabbi. And I'm sure that if I came to him telling him that I was hearing voices, he told me it's not about me. <laughs> Somebody else's voices. <laughs> there, You know, it's funny because there is a piece of Talmud that I really like about Ilfa uh, where they, uh, he and I think... Uh, I can't remember the other rabbi go and they, they want to leave the yeshiva to go into the business world. Mm. And, uh, and they sit next to a dilapidated wall and they hear, or they say, this is, there's a voice that says, uh, uh, one of them, will, one of you will not be able to succeed or something mm. like something like that. And I was saying, it's not clear who he, who, did they both hear it? Did one of them hear it? Mm. Right. Like who, who, who tends to hear um, and I, and I think in, in that sense, sort of, uh, and this is a place to sort of to, to kind of wrap up as well. Um, it's not so much, as you said, not, not so much who is talking, but what are you hearing? Right. Um, yeah. and, and, and for us definitely both in recovery, but also I think throughout this sort of, and, and, and the spirit world and right and spirituality and physicality is, uh, if we have these two parts of our soul in us, like which one do we listen to? Yeah. Right. Which which one do you make space to hear? Right. So yeah. Uh, last question. Uh, well, I, it's I, it's not even a question. It's more of a comment. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, behind you, I see a collection which I have as well, which is all the writings of Kelvin and Hobbes. It is ginormously heavy. This particular yeah. collection, for no yeah. apparent reason. Yeah, it's you know? absurd. It really is. Like, even for those, I have big books, but this is really. Yeah. Right. Like, um, it weighs as much as my set of Gamaras, you know? <laughs> that, that's right. Exactly. It's like, yeah. why is this so heavy? Yeah. Um, uh, what have you sort of, one of the best things you've learned from Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, man. I'm, I'm, it's, you know, I bought it for my wife. <laughs> she is, she's a massive Calvin and Hobbes fan. I, I'm not so bucky in Calvin and Hobbes. I'm not uh, particularly proficient. Huh. Uh, I'm sorry to be such a letdown. <laughs> no, okay, fine. Get her on. Get her on the the thing. Um, yeah. 
Well, in that case, I'll share mine. Uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, elements about this is, this sort of, is um, the right sort of the ability to have full-on immersive conversations with the self. Mm. And that, right, a lot of people are afraid to be with the self. A lot of people are afraid of their own imagination. A lot of people are afraid. And we try, and I think that's part of addiction, we try and uh, fill that void with drugs and alcohol and, and drinks and dinners and food and shopping and gambling and, you know, and all that and social media. But uh, but the ability to really spend time with oneself is, I think, one of those amazing things that that, in fact, ironically, I think can come from a lot of the ability to meditate and to pray and to study and to read. Um, so um, at least that's what I've always loved about Calvin and Hobbes. Mm. Um, so, uh, well, you should get Bucky and Calvin and Hobbes. You should, you should definitely start reading them. Uh, yeah, the same thing. Exactly. That's exactly right. She's a smart woman. Smart she woman. Uh, Rabbi Rose, thank you so very much for this. This has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, again, if you guys want to hear more, uh, of Rabbi Rose, but in uh, 20 minutes, sort of 20, 30 minutes succinct uh, daily prayer, uh, you should uh, look at the chubacenter.org and sign up uh, and see over there. We're going to have this again starting February 15th um, for, uh, we're going to start a trial prayer for 90 days. So 90 days, 90 prayers for 90 days. It's the new uh, Jewish spirituality recovery thing, 90 for 90. Yeah. Um, I should mention also that I, I, uh, to put out a meditation every day on instagram on uh it's called please. modal meditations um, how's it called again please modal m-o-d-a-l meditations um and we try to put one out every day as uh as something to carry in your back pocket through the day throughout the day to think about um and i'm very excited for this uh this this upcoming deal that we have going on i'm very excited to uh explore prayer and and meditation um, you know, one of the things that initially drew me to to the program and to recovery in general is we uh, we talk about in in you know in Hasidic thought that prayer is something that a person really needs to live, and that and that and mitzvahs and and interacting with God in general is something that we need to do to live, and that part of the the dichotomy of this physical world is that we don't feel it. Right. We feel like we can go throughout our day and, you know, we can sort of fake it and call it in and do and and addicts are really people who 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 feel the do or die of it. And that, you know, without conscious connection, it's a very difficult space to inhabit. And uh, I find that tremendously inspiring in my own Judaism and my own growth. And I'm excited to, you know, share the little bit that I know and, and, and learn from everybody else along the way. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I love that. So uh, thank you again. Uh, thank you all. This is uh, Tattoos and Toro. I'm by Iger of Chuba Center. And we will see you again next Friday. You know how to reach us if you have any questions or comments. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>